Section three of the Essays of Samuel Johnson. This is a LibriVox recording, or LibriVox recordings in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Essays of Samuel Johnson, Section three. General note on the Rambler. The necessity and danger of looking into futurity. Writers naturally sanguine, their hopes liable to disappointment. The Rambler, seventeen fifty to seventeen fifty two. Boswell gives the following account of the origin of the Rambler. In seventeen fifty, Johnson came forth in the character for which he was eminently qualified, a majestic teacher of moral and religious wisdom. The vehicle which he chose was that of a periodical paper, which he knew had been upon former occasions employed with great success. The Tatler, Spectator and Guardian, were the last of the kind published in England which had stood the test of a long trial, and such an interval had now elapsed since their publication has made him justly think that, to many of his readers, this form of instruction would in some degree have the advantage of novelty. Hills, Boswell's Life of Johnson, Volume 1, page 201. Dr. Johnson told Sir Joshua Reynolds that he felt at a loss how to name the new venture, I sat down at night upon my bedside and resolved that I would not go to sleep until I had fixed its title. The Rambler seemed the best that occurred, and I took it. The period which had elapsed since Addison and Steele had ceased to charm mankind with their essays was certainly long enough to have gathered a new audience for the first and greatest of their successors. The Tatler ended on the 2nd of January, 1710-11, the first series of The Spectator on the 6th of December, 1712, The Guardian on the 1st of October, 1713, and the second series of The Spectator on the 20th of December, 1714. The first number of The Rambler was published on Tuesday, the 20th of March, 1750, and it appeared regularly twice a week, on Tuesdays and Saturdays, until Saturday the 14th of March, 1752, when the publication came to an end through the deep sorrow which fell across Johnson's life in the death of his wife. With the exception of five essays, those numbered 10, 30, 44, 97 and 100, all the papers were written by Johnson himself, and often at a white heat. Cave, the publisher, used to say that copy was seldom sent to the press till late in the night before the day of publication, and this, of course, was a much more serious embarrassment to the printer before the age of steam. It will be found that the notes are chiefly snatches from Dr. Johnson's conversation, which served to cast sidelights on many of the themes discussed in the essays. Saturday, March the 24th, 1749-50. Stare loco nescit, perion festigia mile antifugam ad centemque ferat gravis unguna campum, statius. The impatient courser pants in every vein, and pawing seems to beat the distant plain. Hills, vales, and floods appear already crossed. And there he starts, a thousand steps are lost, Pope. 
that the mind of man is never satisfied with the objects immediately before it but is always breaking away from the present moment and losing itself in schemes of future felicity and that we forget the proper use of the time now in our power to provide for the enjoyment of that which perhaps may never be granted us has been frequently remarked and as this practice is a commodious subject of raillery to the gay and of declamation to the serious it has been ridiculed with all the pleasantry of wit and exaggerated with all the amplifications of rhetoric every instance by which its absurdity might appear most flagrant has been studiously collected it has been marked with every epithet of contempt and all the tropes and figures have been called forth against it censure is willingly indulged because it always implies some superiority men please themselves with imagining that they have made a deeper search or wider survey than others and detected faults and follies which escape vulgar observation and the pleasure of wantoning in common topics is so tempting to a writer that he cannot easily resign it a train of sentiments generally received enables him to shine without labour and to conquer without a contest it is so easy to laugh at the folly of him who lives only in idea refuses immediate ease for distant pleasures and instead of enjoying the blessings of life lets life glide away in preparations to enjoy them it affords such opportunities of triumphant exaltation to exemplify the uncertainty of the human state to rouse mortals from their dream to inform them of the silent celerity of time that we may believe authors willing rather to transmit than examine so advantageous a principle and more inclined to pursue a track so smooth and so flowery than attentively to consider whether it leads to truth this quality of looking forward into futurity seems the unavoidable condition of a being whose motions are gradual and whose life is progressive as his powers are limited he must use means for the attainment of his ends and intend first what he performs last as by continual advances from his first stage of existence he is perpetually varying the horizon of his prospects he must always discover new motives of action new excitements of fear and allurements of desire the end therefore which at present calls forth our efforts will be found when it is once gained to be only one of the means to some remoter end the natural flights of the human mind are not from pleasure to pleasure but from hope to hope he that directs his steps to a certain point must frequently turn his eyes to that place which he strives to reach he that undergoes the fatigue of labour must solace his weariness with the contemplation of its reward in agriculture one of the most simple and necessary employments no man turns up the ground but because he thinks of the harvest that harvest which blights may intercept which inundations may sweep away or which death or calamity may hinder him from reaping 
yet as few maxims are widely received or long retained but for some conformity with truth and nature it must be confessed that this caution against keeping our view too intent upon remote advantages is not without its propriety or usefulness though it may have been recited with too much levity or enforced with too little distinction for not to speak of that vehemence of desire which presses through right and wrong to its gratification or that anxious inquietude which is justly chargeable with distrust of heaven subjects too solemn for my present purpose it frequently happens that by indulging early the raptures of success we forget the measures necessary to secure it and suffer the imagination to riot in the fruition of some possible good till the time of obtaining it has slipped away there would however be few enterprises of great labour or hazard undertaken if we had not the power of magnifying the advantages which we persuade ourselves to expect from them when the knight of la mancha gravely recounts to his companion the adventures by which he is to signalize himself in such a manner that he shall be summoned to the support of empire's solicitude to accept the heiress of the crown which he has preserved have honours and riches to scatter about him and an island to bestow on his worthy squire very few readers amidst their mirth or pity can deny that they have admitted visions of the same kind though they have not perhaps expected events equally strange or by means equally inadequate when we pity him we reflect on our own disappointments and when we laugh our hearts inform us that he is not more ridiculous than ourselves except that he tells what we have only thought the understanding of a man naturally sanguine may indeed be easily vitiated by the luxurious indulgence of hope however necessary to the production of everything great or excellent as some plants are destroyed by too open exposure to that sun which gives life and beauty to the vegetable world perhaps no class of the human species requires more to be cautioned against this anticipation of happiness than those that aspire to the name of authors a man of lively fancy no sooner finds a hint moving in his mind than he makes momentaneous excursions to the press and to the world and with a little encouragement from flattery pushes forward into future ages and prognosticates the honours to be paid to him when envy is extinct and faction forgotten and those whom partiality now suffers to obscure him shall have given way to the triflers of as short duration as themselves those who have proceeded so far as to appeal to the tribunal of succeeding times are not likely to be cured of their infatuation but all endeavours ought to be used for the prevention of a disease for which when it has attained its height perhaps no remedy will be found in the gardens of philosophy however she may boast her physic of the mind her pathetics of vice or lenitives of passion 
I shall therefore, while I am yet but lightly touched with the symptoms of the writer's malady, endeavour to fortify myself against the infection, not without some weak hope that my preservatives may extend their virtues to others whose employment exposes them to the same danger. Laudis amore tumes, sunt cata piacula, quate teapore lecto poterunt rectreare libello. Is fame your passion? Wisdom's powerful charm, if thrice read over, shall its force disarm. Francis. It is the sage advice of Epictetus that a man should accustom himself often to think of what is most shocking and terrible, that by such reflections he may be preserved from too ardent wishes for seeming good and from too much dejection in real evil. There is nothing more dreadful to an author than neglect, compared with which reproach, hatred and opposition are names of happiness. Yet this worse, this meanest fate, everyone who dares to write has reason to fear. E nunc et versus tecum meditare tanoros. Go now and meditate thy tuneful lays, Elphinstone. It may not be unfit for him who makes a new entrance into the lettered world so far to suspect his own powers as to believe that he possibly may deserve neglect, that nature may not have qualified him much to enlarge or embellish knowledge, nor sent him forth, entitled by indisputable superiority, to regulate the conduct of the rest of mankind, that though the world must be granted to be yet in ignorance, he is not destined to dispel the cloud, nor to shine out as one of the luminaries of life. For this suspicion, every catalogue of a library will furnish sufficient reason, as he will find it crowded with the names of men who, though now forgotten, were once no less enterprising or confident than himself equally pleased with their own productions, equally caressed by their patrons and flattered by their friends. But though it should happen that an author is capable of excelling, yet his merit may pass without notice, huddled in the variety of things and thrown into the general miscellany of life. He that endeavours after fame by writing solicits the regard of a multitude fluctuating in pleasures or a most in business without time for intellectual amusements he appeals to judges prepossessed by passions or corrupted by prejudices which preclude their approbation of any new performance some are too indolent to read anything until its reputation is established others too envious to promote that fame which gives them pain by its increase. What is new is opposed, because most are unwilling to be taught. What is known is rejected, because it is not sufficiently considered that men more frequently require to be reminded than informed. The learned are afraid to declare their opinion early, lest they shall put their reputation in hazard. 
the ignorant always imagine themselves giving some proof of delicacy when they refuse to be pleased and he that finds his way to reputation through all these obstructions must acknowledge that he is indebted to other causes besides his industry his learning or his wit End of section three